Today's sermon title is Have a Seat. Have a Seat. Have a Seat. Praise Jesus. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 28. I don't have a story to open with today. Maybe one will come like in mid-sermon. mid, in mid sermon. It says, um, Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6, it says, Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene, Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb, and suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes were like were white as snow, and the guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen. Yes, Resurrection Sunday was last week. I get it. But we don't have to rush, right, to forget about his resurrection. We don't have to rush. Now, I know I read these six verses, right? But I just want to concentrate on just really three words. The angel, when it says the angel came down, it says he rolled the silence on and then he sat on it. It's just three words. The angel sat on it. Without saying a word, the angel is teaching us something. Without even saying anything. Just by his actions. The angel could have come down and he could have stood by it with his arms crossed. The angel could have stood on it with a, a powerful heavenly weapon to demonstrate his authority. The angel could have hovered over the stone or hovered over the tomb. Listen, the angel could have did whatever he wanted to do. But he chose to sit on the stone. And then, not only did he choose to sit, but he chose the stone to sit on. Again, the specific place perhaps was even strategic to teach us something today. My question to you is, where are you sitting right now? And I'll explain this in a minute. Look around right now. Look around. Look around. Look around. If you're home, you're going to have to look at yourself or maybe in the mirror. But look at where you're sitting. You had a seat. You came in. People said, have a seat. You took a seat, right? Some of you right now are sitting close to the exit because you can't wait to take off real quick. No, not you guys. I don't want to talk to her today. I'm going to get out of here as soon as service is over. No, no, no. Some of you guys are close to the music because, you know, you just love the music. Oh, it feels good. You feel the, the waves of the music. Some of you guys are strategically positioned like Caesar almost and, and, and almost Carmen where, like, if they fall asleep, I won't notice, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, perfectly. Like, if I, I'm, I'm at the right spot. Funny thing is that... Um, your seat preference, many times it changes depending on where you're at. If you're in the living room, somebody, you know, if you're like me, there's a certain spot on the couch you want to sit on because it gives you the perfect view to the TV. Unfortunately, if you live in my house, we can't even watch TV anymore. A three-year-old runs the remote, and we get stuck watching all her shows. She'll even fall asleep and then wake up like, you changed it. You were sleeping. <laughs> if you're in a concert, many people like to be right up front. Meaning the younger you are, the closer to the front you want to be. Because you want to feel the music. You want to jump up and down. And if you're a little older, it might hurt your ears so you're further back. <laughs> but if you're in a restaurant... You like a nice cozy spot, maybe in the corner, maybe in the back. If you're like me, I will tell you if you, take, if you seat me right by the door of the entrance of the restaurant, I'm going to be like, yo, I'll wait a little longer. I can't stand that. I can't stand being almost to the door, to the entrance of a restaurant. The door is opening and closing and opening, in the win especially in the wintertime. It's like you, you got to keep your coat on through dinner. 
Seating matters. Where you have a seat matters. And you all, without realizing, every day are consciously choosing where you want to sit in different circumstances of your life. If you're with kids, you want to sit close to the bathroom or close to the exit in this case, because if they start acting up, take them outside real quick, right? Now, it also depends who you're listening to. You know, if you really like the singer or the speaker, then you're going to make sure you have VIP tickets. If you're not so fond of them, you're like, look, man, I'll just be in the building somewhere. Where you sit matters. It matters to you. Now, my next question is this, is like, where is your soul seated? Because this is what we're going to kind of get into today a little bit longer. Where is your soul seated? Now, without getting into a deep theological description or definition of what soul is, I'm going to give you a simple one, a simple one, right? The soul is defined as the mind, the will, and the emotion all bumbled up together. That's your soul. That's the easy answer, okay? And um, when you're thinking about where you seat your soul, there's only really two things to really think about when it comes to sitting down. Why somebody sits down in the first place, what makes you sit down, and then where you choose to sit down, right? Let's turn to 1 Kings, chapter 19, 3 and 4. 1 Kings, chapter 19, 3 and 4. While you're turning to there, I remember, you guys remember that first day of school when you have to go in the classroom and you choose where to sit? That, yo, that could make or break your whole school year. That will make or break the whole school year. If you sit too close to the front, then, you know, you were just a nerd and then nobody wanted, you know, you, 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 you lucked out on the cool kids. If you sat all the way in the back, you were too cool and you're going to get in trouble most of the year because, you know, so you had to find that right place right in the middle, right in the middle where it wasn't too far back, but not too far forward. So that way it teaches you, you had the teachers kind of fooled. Like, you know, like, you know, you don't know, you know, keep them guessing. There were many times that uh, in the Marine Corps, we, uh, they would tell us, quick, quick, come and have a seat. And depending on where you sat, you were chosen for specific tasks. And there, were time, there was a time that they rushed us to get a seat, and, and they said, come on, who, who's going to be first? And the first five that sat down were actually the first five that we got a chance to go into the gas chamber first. And I remember, like, being proud that I got there first because, you know, we, were, we, we had to, like, run to where the line started. We dropped all our gear, we lined up, and I was proud. I was like in the top three. Yeah, standing there like, what, what are we going to do now? And they said, you guys are going to go first while the rest of the platoon watches. We're going to teach them what to do by you guys acting it out. But we didn't really act it out. We did it. Like, they, they put us in there. So we didn't have a chance to watch another unit do it before us. We had to, like, be the ones doing it. We never had done it before. So that was interesting. All right, everybody got First Kings 19? Okay, good. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went along into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down, say sat down, under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Okay, now everybody knows this story from the beginning, and I'm not going to talk too much about it, but this is one of my favorite, like, this is the top, top five, right? Elijah, which is weird, though, because he was, like, the, the, the biggest G gangster, right? Like, right before this. I don't know why he, you know, what happened to him right now. But anyway, we talk about that another day. But so, so he's there, and, and uh, you got uh, Jezebel, and she's got all the false prophets of Baal and Asher, Asher, Asherah. And so what happens is they're, they're out there, um, and, and he's by himself. Elijah's by himself on Mount Carmel. And, he, and it's, it's a showdown. It's a showdown because you see what's happening is they have all their pagan gods and all this stuff, and he's standing there alone, alone, hundreds of false prophets and, and, and false priests and stuff. So he stands there alone, and he says, my God is real, and I'll show you. 
He says, you pray to your God, I'll pray to my God, and whichever God sends down fire is the true God. And so what happens here is a little, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm telling you, it, you guys read it. It's, it's a good story. It's a good, it's a good. So he builds an altar. They build an altar, you know, um, and they're chanting and shouting and screaming. They're cutting themselves. They're doing all sorts of things to try to get their God to send down fire. Elijah's over here, you know, he's got, the, I can't lean on anything really, but he's got the gangster lean, you know the gangster lean where you put your foot up like that, he's leaning, he's looking at them, he's like, oh, you guys done yet? Are you guys done with that foolishness? He's like, your God must be on vacation. He must, he must be busy right now because he can't hear you. Maybe you should shout a little louder. Maybe you should jump a little higher. Maybe you should do a little more, I don't know, do something because he can't hear you. Finally, finally, uh, uh, he says, oh, can, can, can I have the floor? Can I have the floor now? And he says, yo, God, show them, show them who you are. And fire came down from heaven, consumed the sacrifice, consumed the stones. That's how fierce. Have anybody gone camping? Camping, anybody? You know, you put stones around a campfire because the stones keep the fire from spreading out into the grass. This fire was so hot that the stones were no longer stones. He consumed the stones. I mean, if that's not supernatural fire, that's not heavenly fire, I don't know what is. So it consumed the stones. And what happens is at this point, Elijah turns around. He points to all those false prophets and teachers. He says, yo, and he has them killed. He has them killed. Hundreds of them killed. Word gets back to Jezebel, right, the queen at the time, and she says, oh, no, he didn't. She, she put her hair back. She put the Vaseline on, you know. She put the hair in a bun, and she was like, oh, if I see him, he's dead. Yeah, the earrings off. She put the little blade under her tongue. Some of y'all know about that. I don't know. I don't know. I saw it on movies. I saw it on movies. All right, um. <laughs> um, and, so, and so what happens is she gets mad and she says, listen, when I see him, tell him he's dead. He's a dead man. All of a sudden, he hears this message and fear overwhelms him. He just, he just finished like experiencing the miraculous and powerful supernatural hand of God, yet a message, a message, because she wasn't even in front of him, a message that was sent to him struck fear into his life. So at this point, this is where the verse is, he, he takes off, he runs. He's running away. And so in this verse, he says that he goes into the wilderness. He even goes by himself. He sat down under a broom tree, a broom tree. I want to point out that he just didn't sit his butt down under this tree. His soul sat there. His soul sat there. The broom tree, a.k.a. juniper tree, for different translations or for different study purposes, for you guys want to look things up, there's three things that I want to talk about this tree really quick. And, and this tree was native to the area, um, and, and it's important that we understand Three main things about this tree. Number one, it grows in a desert place. It grows in dry places. Dry places. The fact that Elijah had gone there, it demonstrates that he was in a dry place. Again, not just physically in a dry place, but spiritually in a dry place. If he would not have been spiritually dry at this moment, he would have been able to stand firm and says, I don't care what Jezebel says. Tell her to bring it because she don't know the authority that I walk in. But you see, he wasn't able to do that at this time. And you know what? I want to mention something. And again, I'm sorry. Yo, today, yo, there's, a lot, yo, I wish I, there's like five things I want to talk to you about, but I can't. Um, he was actively serving. He was used by God. He did miraculous things. God used him to do some miraculous things. And then this happens. And I want you guys to know that it happens with us too. We can't get so puffed up that God can use us one moment and we think that we gangsters and untouchable and bulletproof. And then we find ourselves running for our lives from Jezebel. 
He was in a dry place. And sometimes even we, right, as believers can be in a dry place because God will use us. But then we get so caught up in being used that we don't surrender, that we don't study, that we don't pray, that we don't seek. And because, oh, God uses me. So I don't got to do these things because I've already, you know, already done that, I've already done that. No, no, it's a lifelong lifestyle. And so what happens is when we stop the lifestyle because God is using us, then we find ourselves just like Elijah, that God had just used him, but now he's dry. Now he's dry, he's running for his life, he's sitting under a broom tree in a very dry place. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. The, the broom tree, right, out of these broom tree, the roots of this tree were used as food. They were bitter. They were nasty. They were disgusting. But many of the poor, in their desperation, would eat of these roots. This tree represented desperation. He sat himself down, and he was desperate. And if we turn to Job 30, um, 3 and 4, I know that I didn't give him that one, but I just want to read, because if you're like, where, where does it say that? It says, they are gone from poverty and hunger. They claw the dry ground in desolate wastelands. They pluck wild greens from among the bushes and eat from the roots of broom trees. It was... The roots of this tree were like if you were on their last of your last, you were starving. You would claw at this dry ground in desperation because you were just starving. And it didn't matter how bad this tasted. It was just to keep you alive. Elijah is barely alive right now. As a matter of fact, you keep reading verse 6. He doesn't even want to be alive. He wants to die. He wants to take his life. He was in a desperate place. The twigs of this tree, the, t- the twigs of this tree are used for binding, for tying, for keeping something like tight. It's a place where at this moment we find Elijah bound himself. These three facts about the broom tree are important because these are almost situations in our lives that we go through. There are times that we're in a dry place. There are times that we find ourselves in desperate situations. There are times that we find ourselves bound to circumstances. Elijah had gone to a place where he should not have gone to. A source he should not have gone to. And he was bound to it. He sat his butt and his soul right there. And so I want to compare something. I want to compare the opening verse and this verse and and the two both in it. So in 1 Kings 19.4, we know that Elijah, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Matthew 28, it says that for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Did anyone see the difference about sitting? Elijah sat under, the angel sat on it. I know, we're getting there. We're getting there. The stone represented what the enemy tried to use to stop Jesus. That, they, they thought that stone would stop our king from coming up. Let me just put this stone on here and stop what God wants to do. The very thing that the devil tried to stop you with can be the very thing that you can sit on, not sit under, sit on to declare the goodness and the victory and the power of God. What was meant to bring defeat in your life can become a seat. You have to choose that. 
You see, he chose one, Elijah chose to sit under, and this angel shows us that he sat on. But he sat on this stone, the stone representing uh, just, what, just an attempt, an attempt to stop, an attempt to keep God from doing what God wants to do, an attempt. So the, the, the question for you guys as we go along is you can either sit under the circumstance or you can sit on them. But the thing is this, you can't do both. You can't sit in two places at once. You're either going to sit on it and own it and understand who you are in Christ or you sit under it and let it defeat you. So where you sit, doesn't only affect you. And this is something that's important. Parents, I need us to get this. I need us to get this. Spouses, I need us to get this. Where you sit doesn't only affect you. Where you sit, others will sit too. People are watching. It's generational. Let's turn to 2 Kings 10.30. 2 Kings 10.30. Says, nonetheless, the Lord said to Jehu, You have done well in following my instructions to destroy the family of Ahab. Therefore, your descendants will be kings of Israel down to the fourth generation. Man. Jehu. <laughs> Jehu was not going to allow Ahab to overpower him. He wasn't going to bend or bow down or sit down under Ahab. He trusted and believed God. He knew who he went and whose authority he went in. And he chose to sit on top of those circumstances and brought defeat to Ahab. And then in bringing defeat, he was obedient in what God specifically asked him to do, which may seem gruesome and all that stuff, you know, it's a conversation for another time. But he did it. And because of his obedience and because of his decision of where to sit in this circumstance, God says, not only, not only am I blessing you, he's like, your, your generations to come, four generations that means that because of his behavior, well, um, his great-great-grandson would sit as king. Because of, his, of, of where he chose to sit, what he chose to do, how he chose to obey. Jehu, because you sat on it, your descendants will never sit under So fathers, if we can sit on our temper, our children will never have to sit under it. Mothers, if you can sit on top of anxiety, then our children will never be under anxiety. Do we understand this concept? Do we understand it? If we, if we sat on the curse of debt, because this, yo, what is it with our people? Come on, credit cards don't mean you have money. It doesn't. Credit card, yo, it's supposed to be emergency only. And what happens is we, 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 we think we have money, right? We, we start spending all this stuff, and we go, into, we go into this debt. We go into debt. And then our children are born into a culture of debt. And paying this and paying that and paying this. And then, and then, unfortunately, depending how bad the debt is, you leave this earth, they're stuck with your debt. And it's generational after generation. You know what? Sit on it and your children will never have to sit under debt. As a leader, you will influence. Where you sit will influence all those around you. The reality is if you're negative all the time, then people around you will begin to be negative. Well, two things will happen. Either you start losing people because, you know, people don't want to be around that, right? But those that hang around, they're going to end up talking just like you. 
especially if they see you as a leader. If they see you as a leader and you're negative, they're going to be negative. You're training a little, little minions of negativity. And we don't need that. There's enough negativity in this world as it is. Listen, one thing is to be depressed, and one thing is to live a lifestyle of depression. Listen, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to say this. How are you doing? Oh, I'm not feeling too good. You know, this happened to me. You know what? We're going to pray for you. Okay, boom. Nothing wrong with that. Next week. How you doing? Oh, you know, same old, same old. Okay, we'll, we'll pray for you. Next week. How you doing? Oh, you know, life's not. Yo, 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 yo. Come on. One thing is to be depressed because, you know, we all are human and we fall into that. No one is exempt from the feeling of depression ever, ever. But to live a lifestyle in depression is to live a lifestyle in defeat. Because I serve a king of kings. I serve a Lord of lords that has conquered the grave. We talked about that last, right? He conquered the grave and he conquered sin and he conquered depression. He conquered anxiety. He conquered all the things that keep us bound. He conquered it. Those around you will be influenced. Where you sit, they will follow. Um, my, my dog has anxiety. My dog has uh, what they call it, separation anxiety. For real, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. My wife and I are like, we, you know, we're on the run all the time. And so, watch some animal activists be like picketing in our front step. <laughs> we're, we're gone all the time, so my dog, her name is Thalia. She, she's by herself a lot. And, and so what happens is when I walk her and bring her back, I usually feed her and give her something after her walk. So we're sitting there. She'll look at me, and I have to stand there. And if she looks at me and I'm there, she's like, all right, have a seat. I have to sit down next to her so that she can eat all her food. So my evenings are spent with Thalia as I sit down and I watch her eat. And then she'll stop and look at me, and I'll tell her, keep eating. And she'll be like, I just want to make sure you're there, all right? And then she'll keep eating. But, it, but, but it's important where you sit. It affects people. Thalia is affected about where I sit. If I leave her alone in the kitchen to eat and I go sit in the living room, oh, no, she can't eat that way. And she'll bark and she'll call me and she'll do all things until I get up and have a seat next to her. Where you sit affects people. It influences people. It either encourages people or it will discourage someone where you sit. All right, I get it. If I sit on it, then my, my others won't have to sit under it. But how do I do this? How do I accomplish this? And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse three, verses 1 to 3. Amen. Praise God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sun, the sin that so easily, in, uh, easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race of God, the race that God has set before us. Is she okay? Is she okay? Okay, I just want to make sure. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. There's so many lessons just in those verses right there alone. But I want, us to, I want, to, see, I want to, to just kind of say that Christ despised the cross. He didn't, he didn't want to do it. I mean, you know, you, you heard him in the garden, like, come on, if there's any other way, God, hook it up. But he says, you know what? I know why I'm here. He knew why he was there. He knew what he had to do. But he was human 
at this, right? He was, he was, he was all God, all man, right? And so the, the man in him was like, yo, I don't want to, I don't want to go through that. The man in him was like, I don't want to go through that pain. The man in him was like, you, you, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. I don't want to go through that. He didn't want the cross. The man in him did not want the cross, but yet he endured it because he looked past the cross and saw joy. He could have just sat around and not have gone through with it, but he knew why he was here. And instead, he goes through, fulfills his mission, and then finds himself seated at the right hand of the Father. It's okay to sit down, but where you sit down or where you choose to sit down is significant. When someone wrongs you and you have to decide what to do, right? You have to decide what to do. You have to choose your seat wisely, right? Are you going to sit in a seat of bitterness? Are you going to sit in a seat of unforgiveness? Are you going to sit in a seat of forgiveness and and repentance, and love. That's a decision you have to take. Those are, those are chairs. When someone says, have a seat, which one are you going to sit at? No one forces it on you. No one forces you down. When you're discouraged and you have a decision to make, choose your seat wisely. The, the important, it's important the seat you choose, right? But isn't it amazing when someone saves you a seat? Isn't it amazing when your seat has already been chosen and saved? And it's, and it's comfortable, it's convenient, it's awesome, good seats, right? Someone saves it for you. Listen, it's amazing to have seats saved for you, but it sucks to have to save seats for somebody. Let me tell you a little story. It drove me nuts. I'm sorry, Kevin. He's part of my story. All right, um... We went to my nephew's uh, birthday party in the Bronx, and it was, what, two years ago, maybe? It was about two years ago. We went to the Bronx, and it's, you know, my, my uh, brother-in-law's a pastor in the Bronx, so they got people, they got family, and, and we're coming from Philly, and, and, and we have, like, our, our little traveling tribe, right? And so we're trying to get over there, and, but we're going in separate cars because, you know, Kevin's a grown man. He got, he, you know, if I stay, he want to come home. If I, if I want to come home and he wants to stay, so he's so he going to come on his own with his wife. We're going to come on our own. And then we have another friend who's a pastor, and he wanted to be there, but he didn't, want, he didn't really know anybody else, and he wanted to sit with us. So I got like, I get there first because, you know, what we say, on time is late. You got to be there early to be on time. Okay, right? So that's how I am. So we're there early, and guess what? I have my pick of the litter for the seats. But now I know, wait. I got to make sure I save a seat for Kevin, for Jocelyn, for this pastor, and he's going to come with like three other people. And so I'm like, oh, all right, I got to save five seats. So here we sit. We sit down, and it's not so pleasant for me. You see, my wife gets up, and she leaves. She's like, oh, she's talking, and she's mingling. And the thing is, like, I can't save seven seats without, and leave the table at the same time. So I got to take my jacket off, put it on one seat. I got to take her jacket off. And she's like, but I'm kind of cold. Give me your jacket. I got to put it on one seat. I got to take Abigail's jacket off. And she's cold. So I was like, Just, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Take your jacket. So then I can save three seats like that. I got to position it where I can sit in the middle. So I got like a, a, a coat over here, a coat. And then people are coming. I'm like, hey, I can't leave the table. Everybody else is having fun. Right? Everybody else is talking, eating, uh, mingling, and I have to stay at the table. I got to stay there because if I get up, we lose those seats. It's not fun saving seats. But it's nice eventually to see all of us seated together as a big family. And then I'm like, ah, maybe it was worth it. It's not fun saving seats for others, but when someone saves a seat for you, when someone has it ready for you, come on. Remember back in the day in the movies, I say back in the day because some people don't realize that there were no numbers on seats back in the day. Like, like you could buy, you, you had to buy the tickets at the theater. You couldn't go with tickets already. You had to, you had to stand in line and wait till they started selling tickets for that movie and then when you bought your ticket, guess what? There was another line to go to. 
And that line was when they decided to open the theater and let you in. They're like, lines for movies? Oh, no. I know it's different. You got your number now. You buy it online. You know where you're sitting. It's so convenient. Life is good for this generation. I get it. I get it. Life is good for you guys. You guys don't know what it is to wait hours to get a good seat right in the middle or toward the back in the middle. I saw Titanic like this when it came out. I didn't even want to go to that movie. I mean, it was a good movie. But I didn't want to go to that movie. But, it, but I, I watched it like this. Literally, I was in the front row. I had to watch it like this the whole time. If you ever sat in the front row, you know you got to watch the movie like this. Because you can't see it all in one, in one thing. You get, someone saves you a spot in line, and, and you walk past the whole line. You look at everybody like, oh, I got to sit in the front. I, I, got, I got a spot in the front. Oh, they saved, me, they saved me a spot. And you walk past all the line, and you see everybody looking at you kind of dirty, right? Because they've been there hours, and you just got there, but someone saved you a spot. You feel like royalty. You feel like somebody important. You feel good. There's no greater feeling than to walk past everybody. Just don't look at their faces because then you don't feel so good. You got to do one of these things like, hey, you gotta just look up and not look, no, make no eye contact because not everybody's happy about it. But there's no greater feeling to walk past everybody, go right up to the front. You were able to do that because somebody else used their authority. Listen to this. You were able to walk right up to your seat. Because somebody else used their authority, their influence, to save you a seat, a seat that did not belong to you, a seat that you did not earn, a seat that you did not wait for, that you weren't out there in the rain camping in little tents by the movie theaters like some people used to do. Somebody else did that for you. Somebody else paid the price. Somebody else got there early, stood in the rain, the long lines, and fought their way to give you the seat that you wanted. The good news, the good news is for the Christ follower. This is good news. Ephesians 2.6 says, For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Do you know that he has a seat saved for you? You mean, you mean God? You mean Jesus? You mean they, like, they got busy schedules. They got things to handle. They got things to worry about. I mean, everybody's praying to them. You mean they had time to save me a seat? They had time to make a spot for me? There's a seat saved specifically for you, for those that say, I want to serve you and I want to follow you. I want to live for you. I need you in my heart. I need you in my life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, it says, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. Has anybody ever sat on a throne? Just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. I, who wants that? I want that. I want that. I mean, wait, maybe I read it wrong. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne. You mean I got VIP access? I just got to be victorious now. How, do I, how am I going to live victoriously? I mean, I'm a sinner. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to fall. I'm going to mess up. How can I still be victorious even though I'm a mess? Well, guess what? It's not, the victory is not in me. The victory is not through me. The victory is through Christ Jesus. And so we hold on to Christ. We hold on to Jesus. We have victory in him. It's his victory. We get to celebrate because we get to, like, you know, we get, we're a part of the victory even though we really did nothing. He did it all. We just got to be obedient, follow him, submit to him, obey him. It's really not much if you really think about it. 
is really not much. <laughs> Anybody ever sit on the wrong seat? This happens a lot in the airport and the airplanes um, because people just don't read their tickets and then they don't read the, the little thingy on the thing. So sometimes it's like, and it just happened to us once when we, we just went to Puerto Rico in January. So it's like we're, we're, we're on the plane and I'm like, look in, I'm like, babe, we're right here. Uh, excuse me, sir, you're in see. No, it says 27B. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. 27B is on this side. Right there. Right there, this side. Oh, 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 okay. You think you're in the right seat. You think you have a seat reserved, and you end up being in the wrong seat. You have to check your ticket, please. Check your tickets, please. If you find yourself sitting in seats of depression, fear, insecurities, then chances are you're sitting in the wrong seat. See, because that's not where you're supposed to be sitting. We're supposed to be sitting in victory. And occasionally we sit in the wrong seats. And occasionally we sit down in places we shouldn't sit down. Occasionally we get tired, we have a seat, we don't realize that we've, we're in the wrong place. Check your seat. God reserved a seat for Gideon as a mighty warrior, but, God, but, but, but Gideon was still seated in a, in a place called weakness. You guys know the story of Gideon where he calls Gideon and he says, yo, you're going to lead this army. You're going to lead. And Gideon's like, who, me? He, he, he looks back and like, I know you're not talking to me. He was weak. I mean, when they described Gideon at first, like, yo, this guy's a scrub. You somebody else, God. I mean, if you read, if you read it and, then it and they describe Gideon to you in the beginning before he got gangster, right, before he got gangster. But, like, but like, like when, they, when in the beginning, when they first introduced him, it's like, yo, this guy's a scrub. Why is he use God? God use somebody else. But that's how God gets all the glory. We should all be saying, God, I'm a scrub for you, God. Use me, Jesus. Gideon couldn't take the credit. He couldn't, he couldn't present himself as some um, miraculous uh, war general that was used to victory. He, he couldn't do that. He was scared. He was full of fear. He was timid. He had no confidence in himself. Low self-esteem. This is all Gideon. He was seated in all the wrong places until he decided to take a seat where God told him to sit. And you know what happened when he sat where God sent him to sit? He became a general that led 300 men to defeat a vast army. Something that was physically impossible, God used him to complete. God reserved the seat for Moses as a deliverer. But Moses was in a seat. He was seated in a section called fear. Another one. I, 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 I stutter, geez, God, I stutter. I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't lead people out of Egypt. I can't speak right. How are they going to listen to me? You want me to talk to Pharaoh out of all people to, to, to let these people go and I can't even have a, a, a full conversation without, without messing my words up? God, I can't, I can't do this. I'm just, let me just stay seated in this, in this area of fear. Some of us have been seated in fear way too long. Like I said earlier, it's time to be like, I'm fed up with how I've just been. I'm fed up of just worshiping on a Sunday, hearing a word on a Sunday, maybe a Bible study here or there, maybe I read here and there. No, no. I want God. I want to devote my life. I want to surrender. I want him to use me. I want, I, want to, I want to experience God in a powerful way. I want to see things that people keep saying God used to, God used to. Guess what? Yo, I'm sick of that because it's the same God. The same God from yesterday. Oh, you know, back in the day, you know, they used to sing. People used to get healed right there in the church. 
Back in the day, people would come in and they would leave here, they would leave delivered, they would leave saved. Why can't we see that now? Why shouldn't we not see that now if we serve the same God? I, listen, who, who, how did he say it? I don't want to mess it up. There was a preacher that said that, uh, <laughs> I don't want to misquote it because it will sound bad. Um, he said something as opposed to church has its issues already. Church has its issues already. There's many reasons why people don't even want to come to church. But what's worse is when there's no power of God in a church. It's like somebody finally makes a decision. You know what? I'm going to go this Sunday. I'm going to go this Sunday. And they come to a church and they don't feel the power of God. And then they say, well, I guess that was for nothing. I mean, I might as well just keep living my life. I didn't feel nothing different. I didn't feel no conviction. I didn't feel no presence of God. I didn't feel God speak to me. I didn't feel God do anything. So, so I don't know. Let me just, it was good while I went. The house of God should be a place that as much as, much as we don't want it, it brings conviction. And you walk in the doors and you instantly feel convicted about the life that you're living. And it's not that so you can feel bad. It's so that God can illuminate the areas that you need to work on. The areas in your life that you need to turn over to him. The areas in your life that you say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that you don't like this, so let's do something about this. The house of God should be a place where you walk in and you, and, and you feel the presence of God. You feel the love of God. You feel the power of God that, that almost that you, you come in like this and, and you leave standing strong and, and tall and, and powerful because you've just been exposed to the presence of God, to the power of God. Today, you got to ask yourself, are you seated in a place in a section called complacency? Are you seated in a place called comfort? Are you seated in a place of rebellion, of disobedience? God is calling you to the front of the line. He's telling you to get up and to come to the front of the line because he has a seat saved for you. And he's telling you, have a seat here. It's time to serve. Have a seat here. It's time to give. Have a seat here. It's time to be a contributor, a contributor and not a consumer. Listen, it's real easy to look at church as, what are you going to give me? All right, pastor, what are you going to give us? You take it and you leave. And I see you in a couple months. <laughs> I saw a lot of you last week. Hope it wasn't just because it was Easter. <laughs> I want to see you again. Break the stereotype. <laughs> Don't be that one. No. <laughs> Listen, it's time to get up and to take a seat, the seat that he has reserved for you. Can you guys stand with me this morning? It's time to leave all the seats that we shouldn't be sitting in. Have a seat that's already been paid for. Man, this seat, if it, if it, if it could have been a literal seat, it would be blinged out, solid gold. I mean, the seat would be priceless because it was paid with a price that, that, could, that could never be, an amount could never be set to it. He's prayed the, he paid the price. We don't deserve it. But because of his love, his grace, and his mercy, he saved a seat for you. He paid the price in full and he has a seat. And I know sometimes we think of a seat and we think of, well, if heaven's really big, maybe it's, it's in the nosebleed sections. 
the verse said, sit with me on my throne. Like to sit with me. I don't, I don't know if you understand this, but that's like, that's like going to like a, a boxing match or something. And you know how there are boxers that sit in the front rows? And, and I mean, I know about, you can't compare a boxer to Jesus. But, but, you know, our mind really can't understand it. So I'm trying to shrink it a little. It's like sitting with the boxer, the champion. It's like you have an opportunity to sit with the champion, but then you have an opportunity to sit with the champion. And you have an opportunity to sit with the champion. And you do, and you do, and you do. So the reason why it doesn't make sense to us is because in any normal setting, look at, look, look at your seat right now. Look behind you. Look at your seat. There's either a seat to the left or to the right of you. You see, because in our, in, in our understanding, you can only have either one or two. But the thing is, the things of the heavenly go beyond our understanding. So we may not understand how we all will be able to sit with him. But guess what? I ain't going to try to figure that out now. I'm just looking forward to sitting with him. Where are you sitting today? The title was, have a seat. I want you guys to, don't sit down. This is just, you know. I want you guys to have a seat, not now, but to pick what, where are you going to seat yourself at? Is there going to be a place of victory? Is there going to be a place of surrender? Is there going to be a place of, 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 of obedience or Vice versa, is there going to be a place of rebelliousness, disobedience, a place of anger, a bitterness? In each, in Gideon's example and in Moses' example, when they got up off the seat that they had chosen to sit in the seat where God had chosen, God used them in a powerful way. And he can use each and every one of you in a powerful way. He can. The past does not matter. If you're a wimp or a scrub, it does not matter. I'm telling you, actually, God, sometimes God could even do more. So, if you, so the, the lowliest of those, God can use in the most powerful way. That's why you hear about coming to God humbly, Right? That you humble yourself, you, 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 you lower yourself so that he's exalted in our circumstances, in our lives. Listen, I know today, joked around a little bit and talked, you know, and about some things and kind of went back and forth on some other things. But I want you guys to know that this is important to understand. It's important to understand this because it will change the course for generations, it's not just about you. It's you and your kids and your kids' kids and their kids. You understand? It's, it's a generational thing. Some of you are sitting on generational curses, and you can get up and cancel them and sit in seats of deliverance. You don't have to stay seated in them. And some of you can set up a blessing for generations to come based on the seat you choose today. I want to pray with you guys this morning. And I'll ask uh, uh, Vanessa, Al, and Chanel, if you guys want to just join me in the front here. We are, when we have our brothers and sisters here, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you because I know it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to, to just sit where God has chosen your seats because sometimes those seats look unattainable to us. Sometimes we don't feel worthy of those seats. Sometimes we feel like we feel so dirty. You, have, you, ever, you ever been so dirty and then there was only white, a white chair to sit on? You didn't want to sit on it. You were covered in mud. If you're covered in mud, you can't sit on my dining room table. It's all white. Don't sit down. 
But some of us feel that way. We feel so dirty, so filthy, and we see the seats that God has chosen for us as clean and holy and so amazing. And we're like, we're never, we're not worthy of that. I can't sit on that seat. I'm so filthy. I'm so dirty. It says, and says, and God says, listen, just sit down. And see what happens. And, and imagine this. And I wish I had like an illustration. It's like, it's like as, as filthy as you are, you go to sit down. And in the process of sitting, all of a sudden, the dirtiness just disappears. And by the time you sit, you are clean. Because you can't dirty the seat that God chose. You can't, God can't be dirty. Filth. Sin and God can't coexist. Some of us don't feel worthy. We don't feel, but God is saying, listen, guess what? None of us really are worthy. But he's chosen you still. So if you don't feel worthy, guess what? Okay, we're not. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be standing here. I'm not worthy to be preaching the gospel. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I'm a human being. I make mistakes. I'm not worthy. So don't let that stop you. I'm not holy, but he is. He's holy. And I want to try to be holy. I want to live my life trying to be as holy as I can. I want to put it that way. But I'll never, I'll never be perfect. I want to pray with you guys today. We want to pray with you guys today. Last week, last week, there were people that wanted to come up here, and I didn't want to call you out. I, I felt it. I saw you. I, I'm not trying to make no eye contact right now. I'm really not. But don't leave again today without receiving prayer. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. God wants, he, he wants to show you that he's, that he's here today. Today's the day. So that you can leave here changed. You can leave here with a burden taken off your shoulders. That you can leave here knowing that you're covered by the blood of Christ. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have saved a seat for us. You've paid the price. And now you're asking us to take the seats that you've chosen for us. And Lord, some of us struggle with that. But right now, as we're standing here, Father, there's some of us that need to just spend some time with you, Lord. We need prayer. If that's you, Lord, if that's you, the altar is open. We want to pray with you. I invite you to the front right now. Right now. Right now. It's like like don't even think about it. Today is the day that, that you decide to get up out of the seat that you've been sitting on for way too long. And God has chosen a seat for you. He's paid a price for you. And he's saying, I have a seat for you over here. Get up. Get up. We want to pray with you. We want to pray with you that God give you strength, that he gives you wisdom, that he gives you discernment, that he gives you boldness, that he, that, he, that, he, that he makes you bold, that you can walk in the authority of Christ, that you can move forward being used by him. Today is the day. Don't let this moment pass. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. Help me, Lord God, first most, to sit where you have chosen for me to sit. That I continue to lead by an example, Lord. Father God, we worship you. We praise your holy name. Amen.